This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and and sometimes record in our closets. Today we are talking about Cacio e Pepe. Did I say it right? I, I think. I mean, you said it like as well or better than I do. So I, I think we're both doing it badly. But I think I think I like separated the words much more than they would be separated in Italian. Maybe. Caccio e pepe. Yeah, I think that's probably it. <clears throat> Nailed it. All of my like various repertoire of characters that I, I can do for my uh-huh. family all at a certain point become Italian. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like it's. <laughs> Yeah. Can you do can you do like Jack Nicholson but Italian? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, not on purpose. He just uh-huh. becomes Italian. Anyway. That's cool. Okay, so, yeah, today we are talking about cacio e pepe, and... We should start by defining this, let's right? Let's start by defining it. I mean, I, I think our listeners know what this is. This dish is very trendy, slash was recently very trendy. When does something stop being trendy? And, and does someone come oh. along and, like, ring a bell and say, like, here lies cacio e pepe, Yeah, it's a very no solemn ceremony. Yeah, and then they bury some pasta. Uh, there's, there's a backpipe grows into a spaghetti tree. Yep. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, like... <laughs> You know, just in the Italian tradition, there's a there's a bagpipe player. Yep. Uh, anyway, so okay, uh, so this is a pasta dish. It is typically Roman. Uh, it has been made in Rome in the area of Rome, actually for not as long as you might think, and we'll get to that in a second. Oh, so but it consists maybe of like spaghetti. since like 2013. <laughs> it consists of so the the pasta you use is either spaghetti or tonnarelli. Tonnarelli being a long noodle but that is square in cross-section rather than circular. Two questions. Yeah. Number one, what is spaghetti? Number two, is uh, tonarelli different from spaghetti a la chitarra? Oh my gosh. Okay, if you're in the Wikipedia entry for Cacio e Pepe uh-huh. and you click on tonarelli, it takes you to the chitarra. Oh, I feel so that? smart. Okay, anyway. No, I didn't okay. do that. This is like okay. a right all right off the dome here. Anyway, so yeah, it's, it's one of those two long skinny noodles and it is sauced, I'm making air quotes here, with grated Pecorino Romano and black pepper and a bit of pasta cooking water. Yeah, this um, is like of all the Roman pastas, and we should we should talk about because like I love these Roman pastas, and we should put it into context with the other ones. Like all of them, kind of seem like this is like too minimal to be even considered a sauce, but it's so good. Yes, and it was really helpful to me actually. Well, so we should say we're going to have a guest here in a oh, moment. Yeah. We are going to have Christina Gill, who is a co-author and the photographer of the book Tasting Rome. Yeah. She is a native of Nashville, Tennessee, but lives in Rome and has lived there for quite some time now. Anyway, I learned a lot by looking at that book because I have made, I think, three different recipes of cacio e pepe over the years, and they have been vastly different. And yet they were they were all very, very similar. But what I learned <laughs> vastly different, from- but very similar. Very similar in terms of the ingredients and, and, you know what I mean? Uh, What I learned from Christina's book is that uh, it is a very typical thing for cacio e pepe to 
vary in terms of dryness or like sauciness, depending on who's making it and how they make it. How about in so. terms of, well, well, we'll get to clumpiness and how to avoid clumps. <laughs> okay. Later. Okay. So Should we anyway, go down memory lane? Oh, well, ahead, so I, I also want to say, just for anybody who who doesn't know, cacio e pepe basically means cheese and, and black pepper. Yeah. yeah, and it's a very black pepper forward dish, usually. It is. Right? It is. And it, it's very salty, too, because yeah. Pecorino Romano is a uh, like a, a hard, uh, salty sheep's milk cheese. Yeah, no, I had all the cheese for my recipe, like sitting in a pretty big bowl on the counter. And I was like, I am so excited that I got to put all of this cheese in. Yeah, it's impressive, right? It's so much cheese. Yeah. Let's go down memory lane. Let's do it. You first. I I don't really have much experience with this dish. Like, you know, I've had it here and there. Like, you've made it for me and it was delicious. I think, I don't think when I made, I made it the it other day, your... it was the first time, but it was maybe the second or third time. It, I just, it just doesn't come to mind mind for some reason. I think it's because like in my mind, it seems too simple to be good. But of course, it's great. So my mind doesn't work great. Just to make our listeners jealous, I should remind everyone that I made this for your birthday yeah. in 2021. Oh, that was uh, such we a great were, birthday feast. When we were on a, a corporate retreat together. Yeah. So it was Cacio e Pepe. There was ice cream with homemade hot that. fudge. Yes. And there was an erotic thriller. There was an erotic thriller. That was that was the spiciest ingredient of all. Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. I loved that movie. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. <laughs> it was the movie was Color of Night. It was the stupidest movie we've ever watched, and oh, I loved yeah. every moment of it. That was the one with the group, the, the group therapy, <laughs> the group scenes, therapy. right? Yes, I the, loved that. And the giant like baseball mitt, the giant baseball mitt chair, <laughs> yes. right? <laughs> okay. All right. But uh, it's time for my memory lane. Okay. So I think the first time I ever heard of this pasta was in Gourmet Magazine. That makes sense. In, like around the time I moved to Seattle. So I, I looked it up and the the recipe was that I, I made for the first time was from 2003. And it was in one of those like, I think like short order cook sections they sure. had. Do you remember that? Like yeah. their 30 minute meals or whatever. Anyway, I made Where, it. That I felt loved very- very, like begrudging, right? Like we're gourmet magazine, but fine. <laughs> but fine, we'll give you something easy to make. Um, so I made it for the first time using the gourmet recipe, which I'll talk more about in a minute. And I loved it. And I blogged about it in like the first year of blogging. Wow. Uh, I looked it up. It was October 2005. The first year of blogging. And the post is horrifying which means everybody's now going to go look it up. Yeah. But I just want everybody to know that I know it's horrifying. It's just, it's really cute. Anyway, I can't wait to read this. So in the time, I'll talk more about other recipes I've tried, but what I make now, I make all the time. And it is the recipe from the book Repertoire by Jessica Badalana. And we make it so often in this household that for a time, June referred to it as like like Noodles. my mac and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I would say I make it like at least twice a month at this point. But I was thinking when I was doing this agenda that I really have only eaten it once, maybe twice in restaurants. Okay. I feel like this pasta dish is so much about like a fine balance of ingredients and uh, like the speed at which you mix them and the heat at which you mix them that I think it'd be very easy for a restaurant to butcher this stuff. I think so, too. On the other hand, I feel like compared to making it at home, I could see a restaurant being using like absolute vast amounts of olive oil and or butter that I might hesitate to use at home. Not because I'm trying to be abstemious or anything, but just because like it feels like it might be like a wrong amount. Well, I think most of the time the amount of oil or butter that restaurants use is an amount that home cooks would think is ludicrous. Yeah, exactly. And yet it's what it often takes to yeah. create the texture and flavor and all that stuff that we love. I think one place where I have actually eaten this and I want to talk to Christina about it is a restaurant in in Rome that has been around I think since 1911. Wow, it's called- that's when my grandfather was born. Really? Yeah. Is this your 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 good grandfather or your bad grandfather? The good one. Oh, di- good. I've heard much less about yeah. him than than the bad one. Uh, you know, the the bad one hung around much longer being mean. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, because he was fueled by pure rage yep. and badness. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the restaurant is called Trattoria Perilli. Uh, P-E-R-I-L-L-I. Okay. And I went there. So, Matthew, do you remember, like, when we were the kind of food writers who would get invited on press trips? Yeah, I don't think I ever, <laughs> like, the the <laughs> most, the closest thing to a press trip I ever went on, I think, was to Idaho. Um, oh, that's so, pretty cool. What did you do in Idaho? Oh, I went, to, I went to this amazing trattoria, like, it was next to a fountain. No, I went to, uh, I, I was, like, hired by, like, a resort chain to write about their new resort resort and i mean it was really fun like i got to stay like in a bungalow at the resort and i got to like drive around with the chef and eat stuff that's amazing yeah uh i think the only press trip that i ever went on was like this most epic of epic press trips which was it was sponsored by like the naples italy chamber of commerce oh yeah and i think i wound up on this press trip because of francis lamb who at that time you know now he's what like the like the editor-in-chief of clarkson potter or something and and host of the splendid and table. host of the splendid he's the, table he's the anyway, toast of the town is what he is he is the he is the toast of the town anyway but at that time he was just a lowly writer for gourmet magazine well i mean i, yeah, like I don't you, think he was like lowly you. i know i'm teasing i mean we all wanted to be writers for Gourmet Magazine. And <laughs> you we all wanted to be more like Lowly Worm. <laughs> no, and you and Francis actually succeeded at that. <laughs> at being writer, yeah, that's true. And and one of us went on to great success after that. That's true. <laughs> you did. Sorry, <laughs> Francis. Anyway, but I had just met Francis and he like knew these people who were organizing this press trip in Italy and he put my name in the hat. So I wound up traveling to Italy with Francis and his friend, who is now my friend, Winnie Yang. We met up in Rome together before we joined up with this press trip. And like Winnie knew all of these people because we were food writers at the time who knew people. And we stayed in this apartment together in Rome and we went to Perilli and had uh, what Perilli is known for is its carbonara. Mm -hmm. What's well, one of and the Roman pastas like, I was thinking about? It is like this super, it, it's like a white tablecloth place where the waiters are in bow ties. Nice. But it feels very, it, it is like not slick or fancy in any way other than like those two details. Sure. It feels very like neighborhood Rome. Anyway. No, you, you included a link to the menu and I was like drooling over the menu before you got here. We'll, we'll include a link in the in the show notes in your podcast player. But like this is like if you think like Roman restaurant menu, yes. it, it is this. Yes. Anyway, so that I think is the only place I've ever ordered cacio e pepe in a restaurant because especially in the U.S., I just I'm I feel like it, it would come out looking like fettuccine Alfredo. Yeah, I know what you mean. So if you're if you're making this like a couple times a month and it's like part of your regular rotation, do you have like big blocks of hard cheeses in your fridge? So I make sure that I always have um, enough Pecorino Romano to make this and enough grana and I keep them together in mm -hmm. a Tupperware. But and like, how do you tell them apart? Oh, by the rind, right? Oh, well, they also they also just look different. Yeah, that's true. I guess they Pecorino's do. They like look different. whiter. Kind of, but right? you know, they both keep for an eternity. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I have really tested did this. I mean, I, I have sometimes like in the summertime, maybe I don't make cacio e pepe as much because it's so hot. And so I've I've really pushed the limits on how long I can keep a block of pecorino. And it really is. This is a real like pantry meal. If you are someone who is open to keeping nice Italian cheeses around. Yeah. So like, can we list off the other Roman pastas? Because I, I want to keep like returning to them th throughout the show. So there's let's see. Yeah, so there's, there's carbonara, mm -hmm. which is which is with uh, like some sort of cured pork and eggs. Uh, usually guanciale, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but is amatriciana, is, is yeah, that a Roman absolutely. pasta? Okay. Um, amatriciana, which is cured pork and tomato. Okay. Uh, there's uh, there's... a Yes. Which is cured pork. It, it's like amatriciana without the tomato or carbonara without the eggs, kind of. It's... And it has a lot of black pepper. Yeah. Right? Doesn't it? Yeah. So I can't remember. Yeah, it, it does. And I think like, there's a lot of black pepper in a lot of Roman cooking. Yeah. So like all of these dishes are are like very close family relations, I think, and can sort of like kind of 
edge over the line, like you you can add like, you know, a, a little bit of tomato to your Grichia and it becomes an Amatriciana. They're all so good and like so unique, though related. I don't know. And I just love this family. And none of them is like a long simmered sauce. I mean, none right. of these like, you know, whereas Bolognese is probably like at least the recipes I've tried have been like minimum oh, yeah, three yeah. hours. Right. None of these is like that. No, and they're um, all made with dried pasta. Oh, right. God, I hadn't thought about that. But I want to yeah. ask our guest like whether these are ever seen made with fresh pasta, but it doesn't seem like it to me. Well, you know, I think that before she joins us, I want to talk a little bit about the history of this dish. Please. In as much as I was able to find out about it, because I do think that the fact that it is such a good like pantry dish and that it does use dried pasta is, seems to me part of, of what made it part of the Roman canon. So basically what this dish does is it uses ingredients that all keep for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So apparently um, this dish was very practical for shepherds who were not like, you know, who were traveling around all the time with their herds. Okay, let's talk about shepherds because (laughs) I feel like like shepherd is such a like an evocative word that like I always think of it as like a you know poetic or religious symbol rather than like an actual job that's probably <laughs> yeah, like a very hard job, right? Like someone who is actually herding sheep. Yeah. So like, what do you t- like if you're a shepherd? Like, are you are you like a farmer? Are you someone who works for a farmer? Like, where are you herding them to and from? I have a I lot of that, questions about sheep. I think that you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> I don't see why. Is there something about me that says? Like, like, ask me about shepherding. Other than the <laughs> pin you're wearing? No. Uh, anyway, um, so, so yeah, okay. So you, you figure you had these shepherds, right? Who and they would have like, their a, sheep, like a, and a they, bindle full of, of pecorino full and Full of pecorino pasta. because pecorino is made from sheep's milk, mm-hmm. right? Oh, of and course. It, keep, it keeps for a long time. <clears throat> and then they would have dried pasta. And this was a meal that they could make on the go. You know, like how, how now... Uh, we modern day Americans just eat salad out of cups while driving our giant cars. <laughs> yeah, it's very Shepherds similar. Shepherds used to just eat pecorino on pasta while driving their sheep. Okay, couple couple questions. When they yes. when they would eat the eat on the go, would they have like a campfire, or would they would there be a farmhouse involved, and would would it be their house? Or do you think that there was like a manger? I think I think probably I mean the word manger comes from manger which is French for to eat so that's probably where they manger oh, their be- Oh animals eat in a manger. Uh yeah I I'm not sure if that's true I was <laughs> I was just riffing but it probably <laughs> <laughs> um, Wait, I do think that we have a manger for our guinea pig. I I remember like <laughs> have any have any saviors been born in it this year yet? It, it, I feel like it happens no, earlier and earlier every year. Like like I go out to the manger. Like sometimes a savior is born there. Like before Halloween, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> no, I do think that like when we were like you know outfitting our guinea pig habitat. Uh-huh. I think that uh, that I saw things listed as hay <laughs> Oh, you, you saw things. <laughs> Just saw things. They appeared to me. I followed uh, the star. Exactly. And I saw them. No, so we um, don't know how shepherds work is what you're saying. We like, don't know how shepherds work, but we sure do know what they eat. Yeah. And anyway, Wikipedia has the weirdest description for how this dish is made. Please. Okay. Wikipedia says that the cooked pasta is, quote, poured onto the grated pecorino mixed with black pepper with a little of the hot, starchy cooking water. Doesn't that sound dry? Well, no. To me, it sounds the opposite. Like you're taking the pasta pot and just dumping the whole thing into a bowl of cheese. And it turns into like a very weak soup. I wonder how many people have attempted to make this recipe, like just based on the Wikipedia instructions. I think that sounds like the premise of like a YouTube channel. Like, it does, doesn't it? Probably there is. Well, not not necessarily Wikipedia, but like like trying to make recipes based on like very limited instructions. Okay. I guess I guess what I'm thinking of is like that thing you do in in elementary school where you try and write a recipe for a peanut butter sandwich, and then your teacher makes a fucked up peanut butter sandwich based on your instructions. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. called. Um, it's the it's the uh, fucked up peanut butter sandwich exercise assignment. That's what they yeah. called it at my school. My yeah. school is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. 
So we're going to be joined in a second by our guest. Yeah. But I want to just give a little bit more history. She'll be here in just a second. But anyway, so again, our guest is going to be Christina Gill. And uh, she and her co-author, Katie Parla, in their book, Tasting Rome, they, uh, I learned from them that Cacio e Pepe is like a relative newcomer to Roman cuisine, that it it first appeared in the mid-1900s. So... I, I don't know about those shepherds. Like, I mean, were these shepherds like? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean we've I already established that we don't pep- know about those shepherds. Oh, okay, okay. I, I would have thought that this would have appeared like I don't know, maybe about like two thousand years ago. Um, yeah, you like, know? I don't know, like how long dried pasta has been around because. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't like I the dried pasta that we have now is like is like made industrially and like if you you can like dry egg pastas, but like that is a different thing. Yes. Kinda. Right? We know less about this, it seems, than almost anything else. So yeah, it's a relatively new pasta, despite the fact that oh, here's Christina. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Our guest today is Christina Gill. Christina is an Italy-based food and travel photographer and editor. She's a co-author and the photographer of the book Tasting Rome. And we are thrilled to have you on the show, Christina. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So, Christina, I know you're originally from Nashville. How did you end up in Rome? Well, um, the short story is I ended up there for work because I was in the U.S. Foreign Service. Okay, So when I was going out, I had three choices. One was Ottawa, one was London, and one was Rome. And the reason I chose Rome is obvious. Right, right. Yes. But the technical technical reason was Ottawa is the well, it's the third. I can say it's the second large, uh, second coldest post in the U.S. Foreign Service. Wow! But only because they closed down Ulaanbaatar in Mongolia okay. in the winter because people just you, they you can't survive it. And then the first is Moscow. And so I was like, okay, I'm not about the cold. And then London, I had a puppy then. And London had the quarantine. Okay. And so I didn't want to quarantine my puppy. So I chose Rome. And look at how your life has turned out as a result. I can't even imagine you not living in Rome. Uh, yeah, I can't like tasting Ottawa. I, I was just going to say tasting Ottawa. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, so uh, you know, so we've been talking about cacio e pepe, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start off here with a really dumb question, and I know you know there are no dumb questions, yada yada yada, but th- this is a dumb question. So, living in Rome, do you cook much pasta at home? Because I imagine that if I lived in Rome, cooking pasta at home would be like uh, cooking burgers at home in the U.S. Like you can do it, I do it, but if I want a really good burger, I go out. So do you cook pasta at home in Rome? Yes, yes, yes. You do cook pasta at home. Depending on the region, you have pasta more as your main carb. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you go to the north, they would have more rice in the Po Delta in that area Mm -hmm. or in other areas, polenta. But yes, Rome is a pasta city. And you do have pasta at home in a million different ways. Now, if you ask me, do people have cacio e pepe at home? That's generally a restaurant dish. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Why do you think that is? Because I think that it's not that easy to get right at home. And so people are going to eat cacio e pepe. They're going to go to a restaurant for it. At least that's what Romans tell me. And well, ever since I learned the trick and I have this tagged on my Instagram profile, Elizabeth Minkili, who is also um, a food maven in Rome, has a trick on how to make it at home with an emulsion 
then that is life changing. But before that life changing trick, I would say only in the restaurant, because I kind of think you need like three hands to do it properly. <laughs> yes, I made it the other day, and that's exactly how it felt. Now, can, can you share the trick with us like now? Yeah, so, so basically you mix up the, the cheese and the pepper and everything, and you keep that. And then when you're ready to cook, you just add a little bit of the pasta water to that mix that you already, to that cream that you've already set aside. So when I spoke with Samin, she uses it for all different things and you just add water at the time. Wait a minute. You mean just a mixture of grated pecorino and pepper? Yeah, just a second. I'm going to find the thing on my, what do you call that thing? My Instagram account. Sorry. Your highlights. Is it in your yeah, highlights? Yeah, it's in okay. my highlights. If you scroll on my highlights. Oh, I found it. Here we go. Cacio okay. e Pepe. Yeah. So if you look at that, that profile where she shows you what to do, then you'll see you make a little paste with okay. some water and cheese. Okay. So that it's a, just a paste. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then when you're ready to cook, you put a blob in the pan and then you add some of the pasta cooking water and you have instant cacio e pepe because you've already done your your emulsion and you're just mixing it up in the pan. Interesting. Is that technique in your book or is it or is it something that you no, learned no, after? No, no, That's afterward. Okay. I don't think we would ever have included that type of shortcut in the book because the book was more about right. traditional how things are prepared. Mm -hmm. But the cheat is this and the cheat cheat and I'm going to say this parenthetically that I learned and it kind of broke my heart is that this is kind of the way restaurants do it too many restaurants interesting but interesting. like but like it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with doing it that way no there is right. absolutely nothing wrong with it but I just I, I, I learned that there are um, restaurant supply companies that give mixes to what? restaurants so I know. It, wait, wait, no, hold. Wait, I have a question. By mix, yes. do you mean is it like a already made like paste? Yeah. Oh, it's like when I went to Universal Studios. It was like finding out, you know, Santa Claus doesn't exist. Finding <laughs> wait, they out tell the kids the that at Universal stuff. Studios. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Wait. I, I, I'm reaching for my phone now, and I'm I'm looking I'm looking this up. So, like, what is the texture of the the paste? It's just whatever what you would have with your raw ingredients before they start to have heat applied. This is this is so interesting. I didn't expect okay. to learn this at all. Yeah, because when I... I made it the other day, like I made it for the first time in quite a while, and I found that like we we did it, a pod Thai episode a while ago, and like I really like made pod Thai a bunch of times, and it's a tricky dish because you have to kind of like keep everything moving and get everything to the right texture and reduce the sauce to the right amount all at the same time, and I found that like my pod Thai skills really came in handy of like moving everything around in the pan so the cheese wouldn't clump. But next time I'm just yeah. going to make a paste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you follow that video, because uh, Elizabeth did the video. And we will we will link to this in the show notes, of course. OK. And, and to Christina's Instagram. Yes. OK. Yeah, so this is like, sorry, kids, no Santa Claus. Yeah. Oh, man. No Pacho Pepe Claus. I mean, so, but it seems like this is like, sorry, kids. Now, now this delicious pasta is easy easier to make. So I, I think yeah, maybe exactly. the kids aren't going to be as disappointed. <laughs> exactly. Now everybody's going to, now it's really going to be sweeping the nation. Right. <laughs> so I didn't know before looking at your book that cacho is the local Roman dialect word for Pecorino Romano. Yeah. For that cheese specifically. That's so interesting. But it's also, so it's made in, you know, the area of Rome, but it can also be made in other parts of Italy, right? So the certified, it's called Denominazione di Origine Controllata, mm -hmm. which I forget what that's called in English, but you have it in France. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the AOC other, in France, yeah, DOC yeah, 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 in yeah. Italy. Yeah, is in Rome and Sardinia. I think it started in Sardinia and then you make it in Rome. Like I have a, a farmer up the street from me who, who makes it and he sells it to Tuscans. <laughs> I wonder if it can also oh, be made can, in Tuscany. That's what I saw too. I saw Sardinia yeah. and Southern Tuscany. This is so, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I love all of this stuff in France and Italy of like, you know, the way in which these products have been, like their value has been managed through these laws and things, basically. Yeah. So do you 
do you like just go get your pecorino from your neighbor? I mean, no. <laughs> uh, and, and interestingly enough, they're Sardinian and they moved from Sardinia to this area right outside of Rome and are sheep farmers. But no, I don't go to him. If I go to get it, I go to a cheese store mm-hmm. and I, I don't eat a lot of that cheese. I am more of a fresh cheese person. Okay. Oh. I like softer cheeses. You know, I'm a brie, uh, yeah. a triple cream cheese person. And my husband is really the aged cheese. So I will go to the fancy cheese shop to get Mm. him the aged cheeses, get him the pecorino, which, you know, the really salty kind. That sounds like love to me. Yeah. That's my love language with my husband. Apparently my love language with my father is just to nag him incessantly. (laughs) But with my husband, it's like food. I, I think that your husband is probably so grateful that that's the way it's turned <laughs> yeah. out. Well, he probably says I nag him incessantly too. This is just this is my uh, public my public story. <laughs> well, welcome welcome to therapy hour with yeah, right. and Matthew. <laughs> so one thing that Matthew and I have noticed in making this dish, and some of our listeners have asked us about it as well, is how messy the the pot and bowl pot or bowl gets when you make this and how you clean it afterward do you have any like tips and tricks i am a advocate of just hot water soaks and soap and elbow grease Mm -hmm. excellent Matthew, what do you think about this? Um, Are you an advocate of the hot water soak? I'm absolutely an advocate of the hot water soak for for myself and my pasta bowl. Yeah, and then like I, I I always want like something to scrape with so that it doesn't all stick to the sponge. But I know not everyone even uses a sponge. What do they use? Oh, what, I don't know. Like there was a like a thing. There's a thing or... that will like go around every once in a while. Like you know, your sponge contains a hundred billion bacteria, and like if you touch it, you will die. But well, like, get a I don't new know. one. Yeah, so get a new sponge. So, right? Okay, so what I do with difficult stuff also because I'm um... this is this is a safe place to talk about difficult stuff. By the way, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Okay, so I guess I should back up and say I have a cast iron skillet that I needed to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to the lodge people and even the lodge people are saying if you want to clean out gunk and everything to boil hot water in it. So if you can like get the difficult layer of gunk off of a cast iron skillet to be able to re-season it mm-hmm. yeah. with, hot, with boiling hot water, then hot water should be able to handle this other stuff. Totally. I also understand that with cheese, it's like when you have a bowl that you've baked in and you put hot water in it, it's like instant mess. Yeah. So what I do is I actually try to scrape as much as I can off. I have a wood, you know, a wooden spoon mm-hmm. or something, just chipping the stuff off or wiping it with a paper towel first to get as much gunk off and then do the hot water thing. But I'm also not opposed to throwing the sponge out after it's messy. <laughs> totally. Like, there's some exercises. You just you can't get that stuck cheese off yep. and just throw it out and start over. You got to know when to fold them. Yes. <laughs> and then put them in the garbage. Yes. yes. Um, so to go back to the dish itself for a second, is, is cacio e pepe a dish that is always made with dried pasta? Or is there like a fresh pasta version also? Um, That's a good question. And I don't know the absolute certain answer. I can say that I'm sure somewhere people have it with fresh pasta, but I've usually seen it with dried pasta. I mean, it could be with like ravioli, sure. you know, cacio pepe filling, or it's used in many different ways. But generally, I've seen it with dried pasta. Yeah. Yeah, and I think of, like, we were talking um, before you got here about, like, the kind of the family of Roman pasta dishes like carbonara and allegricia and amatriciana that all I think of as just dried pasta dishes. And, like, you can try and fancy it up with fresh pasta, but then it becomes something different. Right. Where would you recommend eating cacio e pepe in Rome? Oh, that's a good question. Cacio e pepe. Who had a good cacio e pepe? So, Cesare... Al Casaletto. Ah, that's in your book. Yes, the the restaurant the recipe comes from. Yes. Ah, okay. Well, that's, uh, yes, interestingly enough, that's not his recipe because his recipe he uses ice water in the pan. So he doesn't use, he doesn't use the paste. They actually make it. 
I just went to that restaurant with Anissa Helu in October, and she said knocks it knocked her socks off. I, th- I wonder uh. was she wearing socks? It knocked her <laughs> socks off. And I took some other people, also Romans, who gave it a thumbs up. Matthew, next corporate retreat, we're going to Rome. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. We will we will link to that restaurant too. <laughs> aside from Cacio e Pepe and like even aside from pasta, I've never been to Rome. Molly has. Like when I go for the first time, like what are a couple things that I must eat? Okay, so I'm completely addicted to souple. Okay. So will I would you tell say, us what those are. Yeah, so they're they're rice balls or that's shaped like an egg actually that has mozzarella inside. Yes. And classic would have a ragu, type of a meat ragu in the rice. And then they're fried, deep fried. They're really good and sometimes, well all the times. Actually I've eaten too many lately. It's I love to just test different ones in different places because some places do them like frozen, mm-hmm. you know, out of a bag. But the good thing is finding a place that makes its own. And so that is my that's kind of the dish. One thing I would say the other thing I would say that you should eat is pizza al taglio. So just you can go into pizza places where they, you know, you just tell them how much pizza you want and uh, they'll cut it for you with scissors. I've heard about this, but never tried it. Do you like hold up your hands to show like how much you want? Well, yeah, that's what I did. So when I first went to Rome, <clears throat> went to Rome by myself my first time many moons ago, um, 1992, that was a long time ago. That was, oh my God, 30 years ago. I'm dating yes. myself. I was only two when that happened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so precocious. Us, yeah, us too. And I went to the pizza place around the corner from where I was staying and you would, you know, Italians don't really make lines. So it's just like a throng of people. (laughs) And I was, you know, the polite two-year-old that was standing there (laughs) and and unsure of my Italian. I waited and waited. And by the time I asserted myself at the counter was the time that I asserted myself and no one was there. Lunch break was over, like an hour had passed. And because I was ashamed of speaking Italian in front of all these people and I get to the counter and then all I do is just like raise my hands and show how much point to the pizza and show the shape of how much how much I want and then walk out ashamed that I couldn't even manage to say whatever I'd learned in Italian class. I mean, I think if you walked out with pizza, you have nothing to be ashamed of. Well, I walked out with all that was left after the the wolves had picked over the, the counter. <laughs> and you but, were a baby. Yes. Like, what yeah. What do you want? I, I was two. I could barely reach <laughs> to the counter. But yeah, so the reason that I say the Pizza Taglio is to go to a, a, a place like Pizzerium uh, by Gabriele Bonci because you have different flavors and combinations. And so you can test, test out the different flavors and combinations. Uh, mm. What else? would I recommend a good cacio e pepe um, because I think that that's really one of the essentials of Italian cooking Mm -hmm. is how you can have few ingredients that make such a symphony of flavors and what about something involving artichokes I was gonna say so you have two or three so you either have the fried artichokes Mm -hmm. which I think are really good or you have the carciofo alla romana which is just they're cooked in a pan so the artichoke dip in the book the way that you make that artichoke dip is actually how you would make uh, carciofi alla romana and then the artichoke dip then you're just mashing them up it's cooked in a pan in oil and water and then it's covered and then you have in the spring you have the pasta la vignarola which is also in the book which is spring like peas uh fava beans uh greens and carciofi in it wow um but maybe try to find a time when the roman artichokes are out that's the early part of the year and you get the fried the fried artichoke yeah ah Nice. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking with you. In closing, is there anything that you'd like to plug while you're on the show? A new project or anything you're oh. you're excited about in your work? No, I'm just trying to think of the next the next thing. And yeah. and just 
generally being ballerific. Excellent. Yeah, that's worth plugging. And we will for sure link to your Instagram <laughs> and your book. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been very fun talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. Thank you. So that was so great. I had no idea about like pace. pace. I'm picturing it as like as like a like a kind of dirty white creamy like peanut butter kind of texture. Yeah, like if you can get your hands on some of that dirty white peanut butter, you're set. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, I, Christina is great. I want, I want to have her on the show again. I'm just putting it out there. That sounds terrific. Maybe uh, artichoke season. Yeah. We, have we done an artichoke episode? It's not something I've ever cooked. And like I've only... Wait, you've never cooked an artichoke? I've never cooked an artichoke. And I've probably eaten an artichoke less than 10 times. Oh, <gasps> wow. Oh, man. Okay, Unless you okay, count like right. canned artichoke hearts on pizza. Okay. Producer Abby, please flag this for us. Artichokes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, as I mentioned, I make cacio e pepe at home a couple times a month because I just I never order this stuff in restaurants. And I've never made it the way that Christina describes, like by I've never made a paste out of the cheese and a little bit of cooking water. No, I've but always I'm going up, to. Yeah, me too. So the original recipe that I made was so fiddly. The one from Gourmet Magazine. Listeners, I do not recommend this recipe anymore. I just don't feel like it's that great. Are you going to post a um, retraction on your blog? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> not. Uh, but here's here's what you do. I, I copied a snippet of the instructions into the agenda. Okay. From, from the is, recipe you don't recommend? This is the Gourmet recommend? Magazine okay. one. Yeah, that I think is too fiddly. So it says, while the spaghetti is cooking, fill a large glass or ceramic bowl with hot water to warm it. Just before the pasta is ready, drain the bowl, but do not dry it. Reserve one half cup of the pasta cooking water, then drain the pasta quickly in a colander. Do not shake off the excess water. Dump the pasta into the warm, barely wet bowl. Sprinkle three quarter cup cheese and about three tablespoons cooking water evenly over the spaghetti and toss quickly but gently. I mean, does that sound fiddly or what? It sounds like super fiddly. Anyway, I feel annoyed just reading it, and I can't believe I used to make it. Now, here's what I did. So I made it in. I made the uh, the recipe that you recommended. I even have this this printout that you sent. You sent me like a photo of like your like hand annotated cookbook page from Jessica Badalana's repertoire. Mm-hmm. And this recipe uses butter, which I don't know like whether this would it, cause consternation. People are gonna freak out. Uh, that you lots and I of like black pepper recipe. and a mix of of uh, Parmigiano Reggiano and Pecorino Romano. I Went out and got some nice chunks of cheese. And this mix of parm and pecorino, I think, is not traditional, but I've encountered it in a lot of recipes for cacio e pepe. In particular, Melissa Clark's recipe, which is another one that I've tried, uses both cheeses. Yeah, no, so, I, for me, like an all pecorino pasta dish goes a little bit over the funk line for me. So so I want I want the balance. I venture to guess it might be that way for a lot of American mm-hmm. palates. I mean, it is a very salty, tangy, funky cheese. But so will like you talk in, a little bit about Jessica's recipe? Yeah, in concert with... With the with the Parmigiano Reggiano, it's great. You melt the butter in a in a pan. I used a nonstick pan, mm-hmm. and you kind of like sizzle the the black pepper a little bit, and it's cracked black pepper. So it's like I, my impression is like if I had like put in two teaspoons of finely ground black pepper, that would have made it overpowering. That more finely ground black pepper is stronger than cracked black pepper. I tend to use a slightly more finely ground than what I would call cracked, and I don't measure it. I just sort of do it by eye. But yeah, I love that you kind of, you almost like warm the, the black pepper in this butter in your skillet while the pasta is cooking. Yep. And then you lift the pasta out of the pot with tongs. Yes, I, I, I used I, I used my uh, pasta spaghetti server uh, utensil that you hate. Um, perfect. And it was perfect. Then in the recipe, she says to toss in the Parmigiano first and then finish it with the Pecorino. I had already mixed the two cheeses together because I didn't read oh that part. Oh, my God. So I just put in most of the cheese into the pan and just kind of swiggled the pasta around to to avoid clumping. There was still some clumping, but not too much. And you much. added pasta water. And I added point. pasta water, starting with a half a cup and then a little more. Mm-hmm. And what I have found is that, so, you know, you want everything to be warm, but you don't want the cheese to get, I have found that if I 
have the the skillet on the burner and the burner is turned on, that it makes my cheese clump a lot. Yeah, you sent so, me a text like warning me to take the pan off the burner, and I did. Okay. And like you should, I, I I'd like to just get texts from you periodically, just like like telling me like how to stay out of trouble because I found oh, that okay. I found that really refreshing. Oh, good. Okay, good, good. Uh, so anyway, what you wind up with How is... about just like, out of the blue, just text me, stop doing that, and probably it'll be <laughs> apropos. Okay, okay, I can't wait. I'm going to try this later today. Okay, great. But forget I said that. Okay. So it'll feel exciting and surprising. It will, yeah. Um, I do feel like even though Jessica's recipe, I think, makes things much easier because of the presence of butter, which I think helps build that emulsion. Yeah, butter, butter um, definitely does have natural emulsifiers in it. That's why you can make like a beurre blanc. Yes. And why like when you mount things with butter That's that's right. Yeah, Send me a a text and tell me to mount things. (laughs) Okay. Remind me to mount. Okay. Anyway, but all this to (laughs) say... Mount is a really funny word, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, I feel like uh, Jessica's recipe makes things easier to succeed with. That said, I've probably made her recipe at least 20 times, if not more, and I feel like I get better at it every time. Like, my emulsion gets better with less cheese clumping. Yeah. How was your clumping? Pretty good. Like, far from perfect, but pretty good. And like I said, like, I think... I think having made a ton of pod thai really prepared me for this because both of them are dishes where you have to keep the noodles moving around in the pan. Yes, um, yes. And once yeah. you kind of get that motion, it becomes automatic. And I think you're right. I'm going to make this again and it's going to be a little better next time. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like there are like three things that are really important that that I think about when I make this dish. One, of course, is the speed uh, with which you're tossing the pasta and getting the whole thing to mm-hmm. come together. The other is, as I said, the importance of having everything hot, but for me, not having the heat on underneath the pan when I'm mixing it all up. And then also, you got to have your cheese really finely grated yeah. so it melts easily. So either a microplane or like the rasp side of a box grater, yeah. the side that really destroys your fingers yes. when you Oh God! Like I, I, I'm afraid of my grater. Like there have just been too many incidents. Wow, Matthew. Well, I'm, I'm going to think about what text I send you later. Like whether it's going to be mount something or or stop doing that or watch out for your grater. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's, Um, It's behind you. Matthew, did you notice that this is a dish that, like, you re- you need everyone in your house to sit down and be ready to eat the instant it's done? Yeah, were you, definitely. Like, did you have that feeling? Yeah, and they were. I think we were watching an episode of Felicity, so they were, like, like sitting in front of the TV, ready, you, ready to watch just, Felicity and eat pasta. My spouse has... A, a cute little tick that we can now joke about. But it used to be that um, it used to be that literally every time I would finish cooking dinner and I would be like, OK, guys, dinner in three minutes. Ash would spontaneously decide to start cleaning the guinea pig cage. Sure. Like literally every time. And uh, we even discussed this in therapy. <laughs> and I yeah, was like, I, I bet. <laughs> I need you to be ready to oh, eat yeah. when I, I am done cooking way. because, like, I've just put all this effort into this, and like, you must eat it while it's hot or else. Have you thought about installing some of those heat lamps above your breakfast bar? <laughs> oh, you think I have a breakfast mm-hmm. bar? Oh, you just wow. seem like a breakfast bar kind of person. I do. I have a breakfast what kind bar. Of- I guess what you have is a breakfast like behind bar. The Nobody sink. Ever... Like if you put anything on it and then turn the sink on, it gets splattered with sink water. But it's a breakfast bar. It's a sink bar. Yeah. So anyway, just anyway. put heat lamps. Just just put them like right over the table. So instead it... of a pendant lamp or yeah. whatever you put out, you know, no chandeliers. Heat yeah, no lamps. chandeliers in your house. No way. Not after that nope. Phantom of the Opera incident. No. Um, Okay, have we have we covered cacio e pepe? Oh wait, you you mentioned that it's important that the pasta has a rough surface, and I do I did find that to be important. That uh, mm-hmm. you want to get like it doesn't have to be like super fancy, like six dollar spaghetti, although that will be good. But like I find now, like just like you go to to like the regular supermarket, and they will have like a store brand of imported Italian pasta that'll say extruded through bronze dyes on it, and that's that's plenty good. <laughs> I, I, I want to be in the commercial for this pasta that was my audition. 
Matthew, the entire time you've been talking, your audio has been cutting in and out. Mm -hmm. My internet connection must be really bad. And so, like, I heard you say little bits and snatches, and then you went, extruded through bronze dyes. And then then you (laughs) faded back into nothingness again. I said said bits and snatches (laughs) a lot. Oh, yes. Okay, well, yeah. Uh, So this has been our Cachoe Pepe episode, in which I feel like we learned a lot and came to no conclusive answers and probably shared a recipe that people will say is inauthentic. But it's delicious. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're also going to link to Christina's book. Maybe we'll like look up how to make a paste. Yeah. I think I just pronounced the word paste in a really strange way. Do you remember in like preschool art? time when there would be like a, a plastic tub of paste. Absolutely. And the teacher would come along with wooden popsicle sticks yep. and, and scoop some out for you and leave it like on your paper plate. Does this still happen? Kind of, Do you think it is it the know. same? Like I don't know. And did you ever wow, eat paste? I, I never ate yeah, paste. Me neither. Did you eat paste? No. I was not the kind of kid to like just put random stuff in my mouth. No. But but then like paste like like craft paste, like if you're if you're into crafts, is that something that you would use as an adult or is it like only for kids? I feel like somehow it's only for kids. Yeah, I don't right? know why. You know what I miss? I miss rubber cement. I have rubber cement because I've used it for oh clarinet repairs. The smell of that stuff. Is, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I love it so much. Yeah. And it, God, I love the smell of rubber. I cement. think at one point, like me and some other like stupid kids set rubber cement on fire. <laughs> Oh, is it highly flammable? I think it is, yeah. Oh, I know what you're going to be doing later so, and what I'll be so, texting uh, you So, listeners, about. A, a important safety message from us, do set rubber cement on fire. It's cool. Nothing could okay. go wrong. <laughs> Great. Mount it. And my lawyer agrees. Yes, okay. mount uh, <laughs> When you finish <laughs> mounting something using the rubber cement, then, <laughs> then start a conflagration. <laughs> And then stop doing that. Okay, let's <laughs> let's okay. let's move so on. I'm running through to, all my texts. Well, when you say stop doing that, you're like a verbal fire extinguisher. I am. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matthew, can I read today's spilled mail? Please. Today, spilled mail comes from listener Ren, who asks, This past year, my husband and I moved into our new home and recently had our baby, Sage. Congratulations. Congratulations, listener Ren. Needless to say, there's been a lot of pizza and takeout Chinese food on our table. Last time we got to the fortune cookie portion of the meal, we read our fortunes and ate the cookies as usual. I then watched as my husband ate the fortune paper slip from the cookie. He says he's been doing this for years, but I just noticed. Have either of you seen or heard of this? Also, is there anything similarly surprising you've discovered about your spouses during pandemic takeout meals? Okay, I'm going to answer the last question first. No. And I'm going to answer the question about have you seen or heard of this? Also, no. (laughs) This is is maybe the wildest thing we've ever heard from a listener. This is our absolute most out there listener. And yet. In a good way. It seems like kind of an obvious superstition when I stop to think about it. I mean, so one thing that I was thinking about is like cupcake papers, right? Yeah. That actually gets the food stuck to it. Yeah. Do you eat those? So No, I don't eat those. But I can imagine, you know, winding up eating a little bit of it if you're like trying to scrape the all the cupcake crumbs off with okay, your teeth yeah. or whatever. What I find really fascinating about the fortune paper, the fortune that like the slip of paper is that it's not like it has any food on it. Oh, by the way, I so, forgot to something important. I asked listener Ren to check with her husband whether he eats it in the belief that the fortune will only come true if you eat it. And she said, that, yes. Now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, it seems way more full circle to go ahead and eat it rather than like sticking it in your wallet. It does. And like, do you think that you and I would have like more more friends and be more prosperous if we had been eating fortunes all our life? So yeah, I wonder at what point in the meal does does he? I mean, I guess like. How long does it stay out of the cookie, but also out of him? Because I foresee this scenario where, like, like she asks him, like, what was your fortune? And he's like, I don't remember. I already ate it. No, I think, it, I mean, the, the vibe I'm getting here is that these people eat their fortune cookie at the end of the meal. Sure. Like normal people do. And then he eats the slip. <laughs> okay. As a final, like as a nightcap. Did you have you discovered anything surprising about your spouse during pandemic takeout meals that you're willing to share 
on a show that people listen to? I don't I don't think I've discovered anything interesting. One one thing that I have discovered, and this kind of relates to Cacho e Pepe, is that my spouse does not mind eating food that is ordinarily eaten hot. They don't mind eating it once it's cold, mm-hmm. like kind of congealed and cold. Yeah, and, I like hot and, food. <laughs> yeah, I, I want hot food, and I don't want to eat something that's been sitting on the table for a while. Yeah, same and, here. Although, like, it kind of... It kind of depends. Like, there are some things that are like okay, that are like made to be okay if they sit around. Like, like Thai curry comes to mind. Like, if you yes, uh, yes, like that, that's fine. Like warm, and it gets better when it's like sat around for a little bit. You know what I do? I, I do appreciate this fact about my spouse sometimes, though, because it's sort of. It takes the pressure yeah, like, off you a little bit, it right? It totally takes the pressure off. And also, like, for instance, if we've gotten Thai curries and rice, and if I help myself first and they're in the middle of doing something else or whatever, like, like I don't cleaning worry out the about... Pig cage. I'll just leave the the container of rice open. Like I know they won't mind if the rice yeah. isn't hot anymore by the time they get to it. Okay, that sounds yeah. good. All right, so I, so, I want to hear from other listeners. Contact at spilledmilkpodcast dot com if uh, you or anyone in your household has has a. Uh, food habit that you think rises to the level of weirdness of my husband eats fortune cookie fortunes. (laughs) I want to hear about all of these. Okay. Uh, Matthew, you've got our now but wow this week. Okay, I'm really, really excited about this one because, like, I've discovered a new favorite author who I think has many books that probably some of which are going to be difficult to track down, but meaning, meaning I'll have to go to, like, bookfinder.com. I recently wanted to read a new mystery, and so I just went on the Seattle Public Library and said, show me some mysteries that have been published recently. I want to put a hold on one. And it recommended a mystery called Coco Van by Charlotte Carter, and it's uh, in the three-book Nanette Hayes series by Charlotte Carter. And I thought it was a new book. It turns out, actually, it was uh, it was released in 1999, but the series was recently repackaged and re-released by Penguin. And the okay. detective, uh, it's an amateur detective series. Nanette Hayes, uh, she is like a wisecracking, sax-playing busker from New York City who keeps getting caught up in, like, various kinds of criminal trouble and has to solve a mystery. Basically, you know, someone, someone gets murdered, only Nanette can solve the crime. And mm-hmm. she is just a wonderful character like you know beautifully imperfect and funny and believable and just like someone you want to spend several books worth of time with the book that uh, that I read first Coco Van I think is my favorite one it's the second book in the series but they stand alone fine and they're short and in this one Nanette goes to Paris to search for her missing aunt and meets and falls for a fellow busker in Paris and in the book like you learn a ton about Paris which is some you know place that the author clearly loves, especially a lot about like the black American experience in Paris and like um, about jazz in Paris. And there's Mm -hmm. tons of food in the book and tons of sex in the book. And both are like described lovingly and like, but it never comes off as like, you know, I'm the author and I'm going to teach you about all this stuff that I know. It's just really like organic to the story. And I had a wacky experience while preparing for this now, but wow, which is so like I had never heard of this author. She does have a Wikipedia page. And so I I started Googling to find out like, you know, okay, what else did she write? And I found a page that was like, you know, a a complete bibliography of Charlotte Carter, who's written many books, like um, mostly mystery and romance. And this web page said, and she passed away in 2013. And so I'm like, oh, that's that's uh, that's too bad. And that's interesting. And then I started finding interviews with her from 2021. So she's very much alive. <laughs> she is. She is quite elderly at this point. Wow. Um, but uh, so it was it was a very weird feeling of like someone that I thought was dead turned out to be alive, which I don't think I've ever really had that exact feeling before. <laughs> like maybe like some random celebrity <laughs> that like, you know, didn't that person die, but like not someone I really cared about. But this was really Really weird. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Coco Van by Charlotte Carter, highly recommended. Fantastic. Well, our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, including you can now rate podcasts on Spotify. So if you listen to Ooh. our show on Spotify, please give it as many stars as you feel you can 
comfortably dole out. Five stars. Just give us five stars. Absolutely. I think that's what Matthew's been trying to say all along. Uh, You can chat with other Spilled Milk listeners on our subreddit. It's reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Yep. If you want to send us uh, uh, an email for uh, for spilled mail, contact at spilled milk pod pod pod. You know, contact at spilledmilkpodcast.com. I made it almost through the whole episode before my mouth fell off. (laughs) Because I've been eating too many fortunes. So well. And of course, we'll, you know, we'll link to Christina's book, Tasting Rome, and all kinds of other things, her Instagram and all that in our show notes. So go check her out. And uh, thanks for listening to Spilled Milk. Oh, for my for my closing joke today, I think I've mentioned this on the on the show before you know how we always like have like very formal closing joke segment so formal um, yeah mm-hmm. this is this is like the dumbest but my favorite ever fortune cookie fortune like i always say in bed after every fortune cooking fortune like every so like original should. i i came up with it my favorite one ever was uh <laughs> when i opened up fortune cookie and it said your friends always come first <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm one of your friends yay and I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Matthew, you are frozen. Oh, Hold no. on. Yeah. Okay. Let's see whose problem this is, is. I don't know. Can you see me? I can't hear you. Is it you or is it me? I can hear you typing. Oh, oh, you can still hear me, but you can't see me? Can't see you. It says camera is disabled due to slow internet connection. Video is still recorded. Is this slow internet connection on my side or yours? Oh, you oh, think it's me? Yeah, it. my side looks really good. Uh, does it? Nah, I don't know. That, no, my upload is slow. No, no, it's okay. How's mine now? Any different? Um, It's worse. When you were frozen there, I think you were talking and I couldn't hear you. But Yeah, I definitely just... totally froze up for a minute. But if you can hear me now, I don't care if I can see you.